0: Begin. My, Good my name is al Haq. This is the PIDE, Pakistan Institute of Development Economics. We are here to discuss our favorite subject, Internet for All. We in Pakistan consider Internet to be a luxury. We are trying our best to restrict the use of Internet. The government is even taxing the use of Internet. It's very sad. The government is even taxing the the um, what do you call it? The devices, so that we can't get devices. So, we are turning to our friends in Silicon Valley to see sakte hain internet fraud. What is it that we should do to get internet fraud? So, I am very happy to say that I join ये हमें हेल्प करेंगे ये माशाल्लाह सबसे लखनवाली में बड़े वेल नोन वेल टू डू लोग हैं अमीर लोग भी हैं और वैसे भी पता नहीं इनके पाकिस्तान दिल का दर्द पाकिस्तान में दिल का दर्द है कि नहीं पर देख लेते आज सी क्या हमें बताते है तो हमारे हैं फैसल हक जो कि unfortunately he's joining us but he's got bronchitis then we've we got Mr. Khaled Riaz, Network Options for Universal Internet. My God, that's lovely. That's what we need, Khalid sir. Then we got Dr. Sukhul Chukhtai, Deploying Telemedicine in Pakistan. Okay, that's another interesting one. Then you got Using 5G as the last mile option. Okay, great. Then we, which is um, Ahmed Shahid. Then you got Imran Qureshi. Uh, who's going to do virtual education in Pakistan. Okay, this is wonderful. So guys, I will not intervene. I will s- ask you guys to um, take over. So who is going to go first, Faisal, you or Khaled Riaz? Raza sir. Khaled go first. Khaled, 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 Khaled. Khaled, 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 Khaled. Sahab, go. Khaled, sahab, right. go. Over thank to you.
1: Thank you very much. So, uh, uh, guys, a little bit about my background. I've been working with the internet since 1995, the build, building of the internet backbone. And then for the past uh, 25 uh, plus years uh, building, uh, most of the wide area, uh, we introduced a technology called SD-WAN in 2012. We were the first company that introduced the concept of software defined wide area network. It was a $0 industry in 2012. As of now, Gartner predictions, it's at, as of 2021, it's an 8 billion dollar industry. Uh, it, it, is, it is actually ge- uh, building the next generation of the wide area and uh, I want to give a little context to this discussion. What, what have we learned through our history lessons and why uh, and I think a lot of uh, my observation especially when I uh, go to uh, Pakistan, Middle East and one of the things that deeply bothers me when I see that uh, Uh, regulatory bodies are very restrictive over voice over IP. So that clearly shows you the mindset that the people who are actually running the show come from a very uh, telephony centric mindset that we need to regulate this uh, uh, system. We need to get more as much revenue out of traditional technologies as I could. The beauty of the internet model was that the power needs to go to the edge or the creator of an idea of an application of a service. And unless you stay in the mindset of telephony, one of the things that you pointed out that we are actually taxing the internet usage, we're taxing the edge uh, use, that clearly indicates that the mindset people who are actually regulating people who are actually driving uh, the regulations on that in, that, in that part of the world, are still people who come from a very traditional telco mindset. And, this, and part of this is seen here in the US as well, but that clear sign that the technologies like voice over IP are not permitted is a very sad sign. And still, till last couple of years, when I used to visit Middle East and Pakistan, I would any anytime I would do a VPN I would see voice over IP not a permitted technology which is very unfortunate although uh, at least in Pakistan WhatsApp or but in UAE and those type of countries they even restrict voice WhatsApp calls how unfortunate is that that clearly indicates that they haven't figured out the new revenue models that this that internet is uh, has provided and where are we going to? it's tremendous opportunity and the the argument for universal internet becomes a lot more interesting because the next decade is all about data monetization. How would I have the ability to monetize any data that I might be creating, somebody might be interested in consuming? And that is even gonna take the universality of internet to the next level. So based on this, what I wanted to highlight that this is something that I, uh, it, it's Joseph Sumter, who was an economist in the 30s, said a very interesting observation. I love this quote is that capitalism is creative destruction in which the old economic order is perpetually cast off to make room for the new sources of wealth creation. If you look at what the opportunity happened in the last couple of decades, that the Facebooks, the Googles, the content delivery systems, If you look at all these guys, they're content delivery systems that you're able to consume as a consumer for any content that has been created. The future is all about edge compute. There is tremendous amount of investment happening in that area and that is why the universality of internet becomes even much more interesting and this is where my second argument comes is the incumbents face the innovators dilemma. If I'm looking at even existing companies, the big companies that you see the the big giants today, they are very nervous when you talk to some of the senior leaderships in those companies that they see disruption coming their way. And the reason it's so difficult for the firms, I I would quote my previous firm I just left recently uh, uh, from Cisco's perspective, the the hardware uh, is so deep in their DNA and we are heading towards a service economy. So what do I do? Do I this whole disruptive innovation that is coming in my way that which is dis, uh, very disruptive to my business processes. So how do I actually go and compete in a market which is com- shifting away from what I have sold successfully and it's going towards a very disruptive uh, economic model towards my basis basic business uh, model. That uh, whole idea is becoming a very, very interesting as we're seeing the companies emerging and a lot of existing traditional companies really struggling to figure out their next evolution of their business models. <laughs> so uh, going back to the history lesson that what we saw, and this is where I get uh, uh, very disturbed uh, disturbed uh, when I look at some of the things that I see in the, especially in our part of the world, that internet kogarabdikhi in the last I would say decade or so, internet has purely become a content delivery network, the Facebooks, the Googles, the, the uh, Netflixes. What is happening to the internet now, it's pivoting towards its original design, which was peer to peer. Anybody can communicate to anybody at, at a massive scale. And this is what I think, and I think the next one of the speakers, which I am very lo- looking forward to listening to fi- uh, last 5G last mile, 5G last mile gives you one very big opportunity of high bandwidth connectivity at the edge, which obviously will drive more uh, um, enablement for peer-to-peer communication because that is where the internet of things, the next decade of internet usage is not the consumers because we always hear that there'll be 6 billion users, but there'll be 30 billion IOTs. That IOT that is sitting at a remote location is a data sourcing device. So the data gravity is shifting. If you look at the current data gravity on the internet, it is centralized. The tomorrow data gravity of internet is distributed. The edge is the source of the data. And if the edge is the source of the data, if the data is created at some location, it will be consumed and it is monetizable. As they say, the data is the next oil. So the uh, internet, what has transformed into a hub and spoke model needs to go back to a pass-through medium of peer-to-peer communication. Now, the next challenge that, are, that, that is being faced and I'm in the midst of it, I, uh, we are actually focusing this area is one of the assets of the internet was the unreliable reliable delivery. So you didn't have to do much in the middle because it was a pass-through unreliable unreli- medium where network as a service is the biggest focus for all the big companies at this point. If you look at Amazon creating something called Outpost, Cisco offering service called network as a service, and they're trying to say, okay, if we have to take internet to this medicinal usage, if it's delivering industrial grade reliability, if it's going to consume this edge compute in the most optimal way, which is which might be carrying a compliance data, we have to look at how to bring internet to some sort of better reliability than it has today. Then the second phase of it is the, again, going back to when we created the whole architecture of internet and the way we have actually pivoted in the last few decades, it's the universal addressing model. Internet today doesn't, it doesn't have the universal addressing model. So how do we go back towards the transaction of the internet, which the bigger usage of the internet would be an enterprise than the consumer's, then how do we build that universal addressing model? And this, and one, another important criticality, why internet succeeded to the orders of magnitude versus traditional telephony network, it was not a network, cent, network cent, centric approach. The network was just transparent. So internet as a whole required a very minimal design and functionality. The next generation internet, which needs to be, which is actually in a serious thoughts and discussions at that point, that how do you give internet the same flexibility that it had, but bring some reliability into it, keep net internet as whole as in its minimum design, but some guaranteed delivery of services because tomorrow's users of the internet are much more guaranteed delivery users. Internet of things are much more guaranteed delivery. And uh, before... I exited Cisco, I was working with some of Cisco's prominent medical equipment manufacturers. COVID exposed some very, very interesting thing in the healthcare industry, and they they are now saying, okay, the elective surgeries, which is the biggest revenue generation for uh, the the hospital systems, got very seriously disrupted during COVID. And that is one of the biggest revenue generator for uh, uh, hospital systems. So how do we actually detach those Uh, from bigger hospital and take them into ambulatory care clinics with the same reliability because there is a lot of logistical issues there. Uh, The scale changes when you, although people will say it's happening, but not at the scale and the magnitude it needs to happen. So a lot of those guys who are in the uh, healthcare manufacturing industry are saying, look, what we need to do is to create a system of that reliable connectivity that this uh, uh, medical services especially um, these uh, elective surgeries need to go out much, much more distributed than what they are today. So from that perspective, how do we actually get this uh, universal medium ready for the next generation services? Uh, If, as I earlier said, that if you look at today's internet usage is pretty much consumer consuming services, even software as a service, the, the Office 365, the Salesforce, they are all available on an unreliable public internet. Where we're heading is the next generation uh, services. You can't afford the unreliability of internet if remote surgery has to take on. You can't trust the unreliable internet if the digital twin. So for those of us who have uh, don't have the idea of what manufacturing is heading towards, manufacturing is heading towards a concept called digital twin. So whatever I have on my factory floor, as an absolute replica through these uh, IOTs in a virtual world. So if I have an issue in any location on my manufacturer floor, I can do predictive maintenance and I will be able to uh, uh, fix and uh, improve and do that predictive maintenance remotely with a very minimal set of skilled, uh, unskilled labor required to change that part, rather than the understanding of the whole system, this will have such revolutionary effects to these uh, oil fields, remote drilling systems, uh, factory floors. So these type of things that you see that are actually would be the bigger users of the Internet of Tomorrow requires a lot more reliability than what we are used to today on uh, on the Internet because. I can't guarantee end-to-end service over the internet because I don't control the end service point. I'm just making sure that it gets there but I don't guarantee delivery but if I'm to get into the next generation of the internet where the reliability becomes a very key factor because if I am doing any remote uh, surgery or I'm doing any remote fixing then these elements have to become a lot more reliable. So internet of tomorrow is very different than internet of today. Because one of the things that you hear consistently is this digitization. So digitization is really an existential threat to those who do not transform. And it's very, very much on the minds of the CIOs and the CEOs you're talking to. Uh, Companies are heavily investing in edge compute and figuring out how we actually get you to that digitization where you, uh, uh, starting with companies, Tomorrow, individuals will be able to monetize that data. If I am a source of data, I should be able to monetize it. And uh, uh, from uh, that perspective, the, the people will pay an individual who will be who is interested in monetizing their data. But today, this model is being started by the enterprises. That if any, if I have a branch of tomorrow and any source of data, any video analytics, any. Uh, element I have in, in that uh, branch location, which can generate data, somebody is interested in acquiring it. And if I do not transform that whole thing into uh, uh, digit monetization of my data, it will affect my pro- profitability. Uh, but the biggest inhibitor of that next generation of the internet is the network, the internet itself. It's one of the biggest innovator because the Googles and the Facebooks and the Apples transformed internet into a pure content delivery. The the content delivery model of internet will not sustain for in the next five years. It, It is the edge compute, which is the biggest driver of the next generation of the internet and the biggest barrier is is twofold. One fold is the bandwidth, which I think the 5G guys will solve. So I will have that much capacity to be able to deliver services direct edge to edge. The second, it's the internet architecture itself, which needs which are which is seriously looked at by a lot of companies at this point. That how do we transform it and get it ready for the next wave? Which again is the very exciting time for us. But if I look at any presentation today. That any business leader who talks about their transformation they were all talking about in the next last four or five years is the cloud first but that is not the future if you look at any talk to any business leader today that they will say cloud first but not always and this is where the, the couple of things which i think are very interesting from that perspective a if i have data and i might have regulatory data that gdpr for instance if the data is generated by, for the consumer in the, the healthcare side, that cannot be exported outside of my country. So then I have to find places and resources. And this is where I think countries like Pakistan have an interesting opportunity that you can start uh, uh, monitor uh, creating data warehouses. Because if you look at my, what Microsoft has announced, because they're trying to go closer to the edge, Microsoft would be investing in, Uh, small data centers, uh, about hundreds, uh, large to small data centers a year for the next five years. And what is the biggest asset for these uh, data center providers who want to get into the business? Low cost power, which unfortunately is a problem for Pakistan. But I think there are opportunities if we start taking these elements towards solar energy and says, we will provide you low cost power and cooling. Then okay. there's a lot of interest from a lot of players who are trying to go closer to the edge compute to the distributed compute and say I can get close low power, I would be able to create a lot of distributed cloud connectivities because cloud is going to
0: get more and more decoupled and distributed. We got a lot of speakers. Okay. So who's this? Sorry. Nadeem i if you can if you can hurry up because we got a lot of speakers Okay. So so finally the
1: workload placement is going to be based on the usage, physical infrastructure, and your application portfolio is going to be driven by the the strategy, how you deliver it, not based on uh, where exactly the current IT is delivering. So in short, the future of the uh, network is all about the edge, the internet of things. The bigger user of internet tomorrow will be the IoT and the enterprise, not today the way uh, we've been using as a consumer, So Finally, what I would leave you with the point is uh, your uh, data centers are going to completely transform. The workload placement will drive how you generate the revenue and think about the universality of the internet and the access of the internet will drive your ability to deliver and monetize things, but you're not being traditionally able, able to. So, Just one last point, data is the next oil. Anybody who gives access to that data universality
0: will be able to monetize and generate new business models. Thank you very much. Great, Khalid sir. Very good overview. But I must point out that we are sitting in a world of 2G. The average internet in Pakistan is 2G. The average (laughs) mobile user uses an outdated phone. So average speed is like maybe 8 megabits or something. So there we are. So folks, tell us, QG. Uh, sahab, ke u de ah ah 5g is the last mile option hum to be 4g paunche, how should we do it but please be brief taki we can have a good discussion amit chait um
2: okay let me share my uh, slides just 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 please bear please with, with me ahead. one minute mm-hmm. Okay, can uh, everyone see my slides?
0: G, we can. Go ahead.
2: Okay. So, uh, a brief introduction. My name is Ahmed Shahid, and I have spent uh, at least the past uh, seven years designing uh, 5G uh, base station equipment uh, at one of the communication companies here in the Valley. And uh, before this, I used to work on uh, LTE. Uh, baseband networks. So my talk is about 5G and, uh, you know, why we need it, what benefits it brings, and, you know, how how do we get it? So first, uh, an introduction. What is 5G? The 5G is a fifth-generation wireless network, and it is designed to connect users, devices, machines, and objects. This is... The departure from the past, the previous networks were designed to connect cell phones, right? This, this network is designed to connect a lot more than cell phones and enables the Internet of Things. Um, a few of the things it brings to the table. Uh, one thing is um, that it brings multi gigabit uh, to the end over a wireless radio network. Uh, This is also a significant departure from the past where previous generations of networks uh, were not able to get to this data rate. Uh, 5G provides uh, expanded capacity in terms of bandwidth and the number of devices connected to the network. Uh, 5G provides ultra low latency, the latency power, the time it takes for data to get to the end, uh, be processed and uh, acknowledgements received. 5G has put a lot of effort into reducing that latency And uh, there are many uh, applications that become enabled because of this reduced latency. Then uh, 5G provides increased reliability in terms of data transport or wireless network to enable more uh, industrial applications. There are things built into the 5G network to uh, increase uh, data reliability and delivery on time and with correctness. And lastly, 5G is a more efficient usage of power per bit. It actually uses less power to transmit the data wirelessly than previous generation networks. Okay, uh, moving on. So 5G uh, is built to connect devices. The previous generation of networks uh, mainly, mainly was focused on connecting cell phones and you know laptops, those things uh, to the internet, 5G has uh, connectivity uh, uh, options for IoT devices, you know, autonomous vehicles, virtual reality experiences, uh, medical devices is a big, uh, uh, you know, use case of uh, 5G networks, uh, as well as uh, smart home, smart cities, and uh, utility and infrastructure monitor and control as well. Okay, uh, 5G wireless networks. So um, one of the changes that has been uh, built is that 5G tiered network with uh, different frequency bands. Uh, uh, Some of these are uh, new and uh, are being deployed for the first time. And they really offer uh, different capacity and different use cases. The most important one of these is this thing called the millimeter band or a millimeter wave band which is a frequency range of 24 gigahertz uh, plus. And this band is uh, there to provide uh, high capacity like 10 gigabits per second of wireless connectivity. And the main use case for this band, uh, which is revolutionary, is that this band is there to replace the wired connection today. So today, to your homes, to the offices, there's a wired internet connection. And this part of 5G attempts to replace that wire with a wireless connection, right? So this is where uh, the biggest difference from the previous networks occurs. Uh, Then there's a 5G uh, sub six six gigahertz band, and uh, this occupies frequency ranges from two to six gigahertz. And this is the primary use case for this band is, you know, an upgraded wireless network for your cell phone class of devices where the bandwidth provided to the user is about one gigabits per second. Uh, And you can do uh, wireless communication as well as mobile high definition video streaming, multiple streams, uh, teleconferencing, those those type of applications. And the uh, last band of uh, 5G is the low band or what traditionally used to be LTE, which is the sub two gigahertz band, where the uh, provided bandwidth is less than 100 megabits per second. And this the use case for this band is your IoT sensors, industrial equipment, connectivity, monitoring, medical devices. The, what 5G brings to this uh, in terms of uh, modifications over the previous networks is that 5G is built to handle billions of these devices, and literally billions, as it was mentioned earlier, there are, 30, there are going to be 30 billion uh, IoT devices connected. The 5G network addressing and scalability is designed to handle hundreds of billions of these devices. In some early use cases, it it seems a little bit ridiculous, but in some early use cases, I've seen every light bulb in a facility have a 5G sensor and be controlled by a wireless control center rather than uh, cabling within a building to control it. It it seems rather ridiculous use of technology today, but tomorrow uh, even light bulbs will be controlled through wireless sensors and and not through uh, uh, wires that a building has to be wired up by. Okay, uh, let's see what uh, makes up these uh, wireless networks. So, uh, similar to LTE, Uh, The radio access network, or RAN, as it is called, is built over a mobile core of uh, wired IP network. Um, This this network is built with performance and bandwidth guarantees, but the core of this network is a a wired IP network. On top of this is a a backhaul network, which consists of base stations uh, communicating with this mobile uh, core network, and uh, forming the basis of your wireless network. Uh, Connected to these base stations uh, are your remote radio heads where the signal is, uh, your uh, signals are still transmitted over wires uh, to antennas and to be distributed over the uh, geography where these wireless uh, signals are required. And the last uh, step of this is the actual wireless uh, communication between uh, user equipment and these uh, radio heads. This architecture is similar to LTE 4G, uh, the equipment classification and uh, those things don't change much from uh, the previous network. The latencies are much shorter, the bandwidth is higher. um, So there's um, those changes, but the overall structure of the network between 5G and the previous LTE networks remains um, similar. Okay, uh, diving a little bit into uh, equipment, if you look at uh, what makes up 5G network equipment, based on uh, 5G network core, there are these uh, uh, units called the baseband units, which uh, do packet processing for your layer 1, layer 2, layer 3, uh, type applications and uh, these uh, remote radio heads, which comprise of uh, uh, antennas which uh, transmit and receive signal from wireless devices, uh, as well as provide all the uh, time synchronization uh, to these wireless devices. There is a open standard uh, yes. that. Sorry, go ahead. Is there a sorry, question? sorry, go
0: ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I apologize.
2: Uh, there is an open standard uh, that is being developed in a, on top of five G called five G Open RAN, uh, and it's an open access radio network. It's it's a standard where uh, anybody can develop these radio heads uh, and these uh, baseband units, uh, and uh, it kind of becomes a, a plug and play network where any vendor or any company can uh, deploy these things today in the traditional radio access networks. This radio head, the baseband unit, the IP network is uh, provided by one provider who charges you know, a significant amount of premium to provide this whole connectivity. And there's about you know 10 or 12 providers in the world who, who do this. And the, uh, Uh, wireless network of the future, you can, you know, buy or control unit from one vendor, your data unit from another vendor, radio head from a third vendor, put these together and build these networks uh, yourself. So this is a standard, it it is being standardized, it's called 5G Open RAM. Diving into the some of the technical aspects of uh, what a radio base station or a 5G base station does, we um, start with a radio head antenna, which uh, has uh, the analog electronics and the power amplifiers to go now amplify I mean, these can,
0: I, can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure, technical absolutely. details Sure, yes. absolutely. But I want to ask you very simply.
2: Sure.
0: Can we jump to the 5G straight or we can't?
2: Yes, you can. There is nothing uh, that uh, prevents you from uh, jumping to 5G straight. Uh, Second question,
0: if we can jump to 5G straight, let's say we dream of going 5G for the the entire country, how much do you think it'll cost?
2: And we need uh, a
0: fiber, you said we need a fiber optic backbone. How much of a fiber optic do we need? Do we need a fiber optic across the country or can we lever off a fiber optic network? Secondly, can we can we do satellites or something or balloons as people talk about? I'm a layman. I know nothing about it. Yeah. So, so how quickly can we go to 5G?
2: Um, I pulled this uh, slide from one of the websites showing the Pakistan wireless coverage map. Uh, this was uh, produced in 2019, so probably it's slightly outdated. But this shows. The 4G and the 4G Plus services available uh, in Pakistan today, and there are spots where this is there. So Pakistan already has a wired network that's supporting this wireless network, right? So the I, I believe the fundamentals of this network already exist, and there are somewhat six providers there. Uh, this equipment has to be upgraded to support 5G. Uh, wireless standards, as well as the 5G bandwidths, but I believe the basis for this equipment is already there. Okay. Now, in terms of what it costs to do this, uh, if you look at our neighbors, uh, there I, I actually had a slide on uh, our neighbors. Our neighbor's country, um, our, our good friends uh, to the east, did not have LTE, and one person, literally one person uh, decided that he was going to connect all of India to the internet and built a network called Reliance Geo. Mm -hmm. The second thing that this person did was he made the data portion of this network free for anybody to connect, just charged for voice calls. And he literally connected 1 billion people to the internet, starting 2015 he was not a uh, cell phone provider there were five other providers there he financed and became india's biggest uh data transport person and uh, internet connectivity person and uh, by the way he did it to uh, install an lte network not a 5g network uh, before that india did not have a lte network and now they're in the process of upgrading this network to uh uh, 5g. And so in, in terms of what it costs and uh, how it's required, this can be taken on by a private enterprise. Uh, I've actually uh, illustrated a use case. the, the equipment, the, the radio heads, all of this uh, is deployable. Uh, the capital investment is significant but you know it's, it's something that our neighbors have demonstrated that can be done by one industrialist.
0: And this geo network is financially successful or is it subsidized?
2: It is the biggest financial success in India's wireless thing. He's put a lot of uh, other cell phone vendors uh, out of business. <laughs> and so he's got investment it, after, because he's the India's biggest network now, Google and Facebook have invested in this thing. So if you uh, Google Reliance Jio, uh, you'll see the details of uh, what uh, this is. Uh, okay uh, what now, in, terms in, 2015. Terms of,
0: in terms of regulatory permission, because in our country the biggest problem is we yeah. love regulation and we don't yes. want things to develop because we're very suspicious of each other. So in terms of regulations, what does the government need to do to allow a Pakistan geo to happen?
2: Uh, well, they need to first uh, there's the 5G spectrum auction. So who owns 5G spectrum, who's allowed to transmit and receive on it. That's 5G is a new spectrum. Uh, as I mentioned, there's these new radio bands, the mm-hmm. six gigahertz radio band and the 24 gigahertz radio band. So there, the government does need to get involved here, right? These, these bands are auctioned and uh, companies buy these uh, radio bands. So there is government involvement here uh, to set up 5G network in, uh, First, specifying these bands, specifying where people are allowed to transmit, receive, and who gets access to these bands. So, from from that perspective...
0: Tell me, the one thing that we love to do is, what I've heard from other cell phone providers and bandwidth providers, is that the government, A, wants to extract a huge price from the auction, and B, is too stingy in auctioning the spectrum. This auction very slim parts of the, of the spectrum. Even though I believe saving the spectrum is not like putting it in the bank account. So how do you do? You, do you see that's correct, or is that? Uh, uh,
2: so there have to be some uh, policy initiatives at the government to uh, make the spectrum accessible.
3: So if I may jump in here, I, I think uh, Emma, like Harit pointed out, right? We I mean we are too focused on revenue from voice and not enough. Yeah. I mean, I think we are, the point of this presentation, the whole series of presentations is that what can happen with the internet if you had a free internet for all. I mean, the savings that you do in other infrastructure like medical and educational would be enormous and would probably help pay for it. I mean, the investment is significant to build a internet for all. I mean, there's no question. Okay.
2: And, about it. and then,
3: uh, G,
2: right? so. that's absolutely correct. And uh, the, uh, you know, example, uh, across just for our neighbors is l- literally one guy took it upon himself to uh, embark on this mission to have internet for all and, and actually achieve that success. right? It wasn't a big uh, collection of people. It was one guy's objective to connect a billion people to the internet in one of the poorest countries in the world. And, and he was successful on it. I ask
0: you another dumb question? Let me ask you another dumb question. If the government keeps hoarding spectrum and does not give it, will Elon Musk, who's putting satellites around the world, will Elon Musk trump the government and allow us universal access? Uh,
2: I haven't followed up a lot on satellite communications, but from what I uh, have heard, the satellites are communicating as access points for, for these wireless networks. Um, I don't know if the government is controlling that or not, or can you bypass the government? Uh, Or if people attempt to bypass the government, will the government actually step in and and, uh, curtail this activity? Uh, But uh, at at least from uh, some of this I've I've heard of uh, or I've read about uh, wireless networks, uh, the last mile delivery networks actually uh, getting connections from these satellite networks. This, uh, The network diagram that I showed, this uh, wired IP network, this this portion actually gets its uh, feed from wireless uh, satellites. So uh, whether that's... Yeah.
3: I, mean, I, mean, uh, I think Elon Musk and others like him are not interested in Pakistan. I mean, they're focused on far bigger opportunities. Uh, and, and the harder we make it for them to participate the less interested they're gonna be so i mean government really has to you know uh, step out of the way and let the and entrepreneurs do their job and, and you know i I, I,
1: Faisal, I, find, I find something very interesting that shaitzap said what but for these government guys to get educated and says look why facebook and google jumped quickly and started to partner with reliance because for them, the universal access is key and then they can uh, help monetize that access. So uh, absolutely. That this is very key that uh, other players will jump into Pakistan if they see there is universal access. Right.
2: If, and if, and, and, and yeah, and Google and Facebook invested billions of dollars because, you know, in one investment, they got access to a billion customers. Right. Uh, it wasn't exactly. that it wasn't the Reliance guys peddling their stuff saying that, hey, come invest in us. It was the other way around. The people came to them and said, "Look, you've got a billion uh, users, and we want these some of these users as customers. So please, you know, we're begging you to let us invest in this." So look,
0: Ahmad, Faisal, Khalid, you guys are sitting there. Tell me, Pakistan is two hundred twenty million people. We are not small by any stretch of imagination. Why can't we leverage our population? It's a government problem. So government uh, problem,
2: simple. <laughs> Government allows access, This uh, all of Pakistan can be covered with internet access, so a very high-speed internet access. It doesn't have to be 5G from the start, it can be LTE. LTE will get you uh, a lot of this thing. 5G is eventually where things will get to, but you don't have to start at 5G. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I think
3: To, to uh, add to Emma's point, yeah, either way, we're looking at significant investment. If you can invest in 4G or 5G, it's a significant yeah. investment. You can make that investment, let's start with 5G anyway. Yeah. And 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 not not not, not too. Serious. And second thing is government regu- in Pakistan's internet and communications infrastructure is too heavily regulated. Uh it has to be deregulated for for uh, to make sense for you know entrepreneurs or commercial enterprises to jump in and start helping, which I think is probably the best way to go. But I think for that the government needs to realize that revenue collecting is minuscule compared to the tax revenue they collect from future enterprises that come into play, right? So I think that's the educational part that needs to happen.
0: Yeah. Great, great, good job. Hmm. Uh-huh. So let me let me bring in Suhail Chuktai as well, telemedicine. Mm-hmm. Suil mm-hmm. Saab, are you going to be able to de- do telemedicine this kind of internet? And how do you feel about what's happening? So you're on. Yes, well, sir, are you there? sure so you're Sir, so unmute yourself. Can, can, you, can you hear
3: me
4: now? See, we can. Go ahead. I've just shared a slide as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Telemedicine is one of the portals where we can really bring the utility as integral part of the service. Health is not an option. It's a necessity. And to equalize the physician density, we can use telemedicine, which in fact is the use of heavy use of Internet. And I was going to share with you the story of Pakistan's internet and telemedicine from a medical perspective, that how did we manage uh, despite the difficulties we faced in the last three years. So may may, may I go ahead? Hi, can you hear me? Go ahead, please. Thank you. So, uh, uh, sorry. There is, there is a bit of background. Uh, can I can I go ahead now? Well, sir, go ahead. Go ahead. Nobody's Thank talking. You. Go ahead. Thank you. So uh, uh, just, just to introduce the context, uh, uh, I'm being an orthopedic surgeon for really 30 years now in Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, and for the last 20 years in England. And at the same time, for the last 20 years, I've been heavily involved in medical IT, uh, being a Microsoft certified specialist and then master's in telemedicine lately. Uh, My work has been basically solving healthcare problems through technology, at the same time certifying and training doctors on medical IT. And that is where the last 20 years of my life along with my clinical practice has been spent. So just allow me to take you forward. Now, this is what I'm going to share with you, nothing theoretical. I'm going to share with you what we did in Pakistan. We did direct telemedicine where patients were able to connect to the doctor from a website. We did the assisted telemedicine Patients connect, going to a lab, connecting to a doctor from a technician's laptop. Then we gave devices to the patients so that they can do the automated care, especially those who were discharged from private hospitals after major surgery cases. Then we started workplace-based telemedicine in smaller institutions. This is under pilot at the moment. In one of the school chains, we are doing pilot for the school telemedicine so we can provide a GP for, for all the school hours online. And at the same time, one of the hotels has agreed to participate in in telemedicine for the travelers. And then this is the latest project. We are designing a van, which is a mobile polyclinic, which has all the necessary gadgetry, which is required to do nine or 10 specialties. For example, ENT, for example, dermatology, cardiology, gynecology, pediatrics, and uh, rheumatology, endocrinology. All these gadgetries would be here, so that this is a, a mobile polyclinic, specialist clinic service. And at the same time, we also have a project where we are putting small clinics in hospitals, where patients can come and see the specialists who are not in the hospital. At the same time, so uh, this is the design of the van, and uh, similar to it's not exactly the same design, but it's quite close to that. And this is the design of the room where the patient will come and the technician will connect this this patient to this doctor. So basically what we achieved is an an increasingly efficient use of resources, like computers were lying vacant, internet was not being used properly. Then we were able to provide the medical care much earlier and we were able to penetrate small towns and villages, Chishavatni, Pakpatan, we saved the cost because the patient did not have to travel and the doctor and the specialist was, was uh, not required to be brought to a village. We also increased the options available to the patient, like a child specialist was available uh, without traveling. And then we avoid unnecessary transportation, which made the country, which made that environment greener as well. So I want to quote a small uh, when, next two slides are from Dr. Bilal, Professor Dr. Bilal, my colleague. Uh, from UK, USA, uh, he presented a study, and I want to quote those two, these two slides from his study, which show the efficacy of telemedicine, that how virtual visits can shift the care paradigm. Now, this is this particular box shows when the care was done door to door doctor visit. A lot of time was lost in transportation and waiting, and that is significant. I I am really thankful to Bilal for providing these slides. And look at the time involved in actual care and just go to televisits. The time spent with the patient goes up 72%. And the time spent in connecting and all those ifs and buts being sorted was 28%. So thank you, Bilal, for sharing uh, sharing this study. And you can see that the gray line shows where the telemedicine or telecalls were used. And the red line, red bar shows the actual physical care. And you can see that this is a pretty prominent structure, uh, where I was, where you where you index the better improvement or made a real difference uh, to the patient care.
5: Coming back to my That's, own slide. So, if I can interject, uh, so this is Bilal. So this is a study that I did on Parkinson's patients, and as you know, Parkinsonian patients, they, it's very hard for them to move to uh, do anything really, and uh, you know they're ripe for telemedicine intervention. So they just come, um, we do everything at their point of origin and as Suhail just showed to you, you it know, make, makes a huge difference. Uh, Suhail, I was wondering if you can talk a bit about how you manage it on a 2G technology rather than the 5G network and all that we're talking about. And w- how do we get in touch with patients at the point of contact with what we have in Pakistan, the minimal infrastructure that we have in Pakistan? I think-
4: This, this, that- is, this is exactly what Bilal, I'm very interested to show that how did we manage the bottleneck of internet? But can I just show a bit of a context that in UK, you can see that 45% reduction of mortality rates. I just want to briefly go to uh, that particular side which Bilal referred. and But you can see the 14% reduction of elective admissions. So telemedicine has a case, has a strong case. And I believe that the physician medical colleges will fail to deliver, despite even, even if we double the number, we cannot get the doctors that quickly available. Telemedicine can cover the gap. And then you can see that this is, again, a study in Australia uh, which showed that uh, it improves the clinical governance, provides evidence-based care. This is telemedicine's advantage. Bridges the gap of rural healthcare service. This is very much our need. Improves access to modern healthcare services, otherwise not available. Reduces adverse events because you provide the treatment quickly. Gives patient an increased choice of healthcare services. This is the benefit. So in now this is where we, I'm, I'm deducing this from what we did in Pakistan as well. Telemedicine, adoption improves the cost efficiency. Now, we, had, we have half a million patient data. We provided care to half a million patient data at a much lower cost. And I'm gonna show you that slide in a minute. Telemedicine adoption reduces the carbon footprint. As, as you know, patients will not travel. Uh, telemedicine, now, this is where the whole story begins in Pakistan. Now, Pakistan is now at number three in recovery of, from COVID onslaught number three in the whole world. And many of the policies uh, helped us, telemedicine was one of them because I deployed, helped deploy telemedicine in Pakistan with the help of government of Pakistan much earlier on the 12th of March precisely. So we were able to limit the disease transmission. We ensured the continuity of, continuity of care. We regulated the disease prevalence. We knew where the corona was, the corona cases are more in number. We collected data, half a million patients protected healthcare workers, doctors were dying. 512 healthcare workers died in six months in Pakistan. We protected patients from mutual contact in waiting rooms. And then the overall, the pathogen burden was lowered. Now, this is where, what what Bilal was referring to. This this was the day when Imran Khan, the Prime Minister announced lockdown. And I was in a a press conference in Lahore that that was the last day the flight was going, leaving Pakistan. I suggested telemedicine to be deployed in Pakistan across universities so that we can get the patients back in home, don't travel unnecessarily. And the governor picked it up while I was at the airport. He he announced that that should be the way forward. And in two days, we were able to set up a telemedicine helpline. One of my software I adapted, I've designed about 40 telemedicine softwares. And this is just one of the simplest one I picked up and I adapted that, gave it to universities who set up the telemedicine hubs. And then we gave a briefing to the governor. And, and I also gave a briefing to the president of Pakistan, Dr. Alvi, of 536,000 patients in, from March to September. And we, we managed a wide spectrum of disease, not just COVID, many other things, but good patients were worried that my child would go out for a trivial skin rash. Why not have advice to, from a doctor that, uh, like simple homemade rem- remedies like eye applying on the skin, and that actually helped patients had mental peace that, yes, we were able to speak to a doctor. Even BBC picked up. BBC heard that why Pakistan is doing so well. And we had 75,000 deaths by September in the UK. And Pakistan had 6,300, something like this. And BBC picked up that why Pakistan is succeeding. So they made a documentary on my software. And this is a ward round in Jinnah Hospital, which we are conducting from UK on one of my software, tele-ICU ward round. And then there they were two or three feature summaries in the UK. Uh, one of them is this, and then there is the BBC program, whole program on Pakistan telemedicine. Voice of America also did publication. And then I was asked to write a book on this story of Pakistan's success. So I wrote a book, and I was joined by American Telemedicine Association chairman, Professor Jay Sanders. He said, Pakistan has a story to tell the world. Pakistan is a brand to share with the world, the telemedicine brand. And you know why he said that? That is what Bilal was referring to that you could do telemedicine even without internet. And we are struggling in the most modern country to deploy telemedicine. How did you do it? And that book actually tells you the whole story in 280 pages. I will share the link of that uh, with you. And then the the Health Minister of Punjab, Yasmin Rashid, wanted us to uh, start telemedicine in Punjab divisional levels. There are nine uh, uh, divisions of Punjab and we wanted to connect the basic health unit where there's no specialist to the head headquarter or district headquarters hospital where there's specialist, without the patient to travel. So we started telemedicine and this is where we succeeded doing telemedicine without internet. Now, when I refer to telemedicine, I refer to video calling plus medical data transfer, live video calling with live medical data transfer and screen sharing. Now, how did we break the bottle of internet? I fragmented the technology of telemedicine, the bandwidth into small bits, and then went through the bandwidth of 360 kilobyte available on a 3G mobile phone, and then reassembled the signal at the processor level, just like Netflix, and then connected all that data to a local node in Karachi. So the handshake time was less than 0.5 second with 720 pixels resolution on the screen because of regeneration of the signal. So that was the lab work we did to adapt to Pakistan's bottleneck of telemedicine internet struggles. So we were able to do that. And I'm going to show you. This is park Patan and Chicha Watani areas. And we were connecting patients in small basic health units on small Lenovo tablets. The government has provided those tablets for midwives. <laughs> So we borrowed those tablets. We, we connected those patients to the specialist in district quarters using 350 kilobyte per second upload speed only. That's, that's what we did. That's on record. So what, how, how did we do it? That is, my, that is the way I, I worked on my own software. I placed the intermediary data in advance to prevent the latency I use the tiny push code technology to push that data rather than pushing the whole data. I, I push the code and the data was already available. Then the data fragmentation and reassembling with a minimum latency using advanced algorithms. I use the processor of the, of the device. And then simplicity of page loading. I lean. I made the code very lean.
0: Use the software language. Well, sir, sir. Sir, can, I, can I interject a little? Mm-hmm. These are technical questions. But I'd like to ask you two key questions ki ye sare pakistan ko aapki technology serve kar sakti 5g pe jane ki zarurat nahi 5g zyada fayda hoga dusri cheez jo bhi aap kar rahe hain cheez i think it's very very nice very innovative etc but can you do for example tele surgery wagera jiski aage zarurat aa jayegi can you move iot with this mujhe bataiye ki हमें aapka kya khayal 5g can we do that
4: in Pakistan with uh, 3G or 2G internet? If we have to, then we will do it. And that is, if, that, if there's no better option, then we have a solution already. We've already, it's not, a, it's not dreaming, it's actually done it. But Fair of point. course, that has limits. The limits are that, for example, if you want to do live ultrasound scanning, I would require at least 500 kilobytes per second upload. If you want to do live gynecological ultrasound scanning or a four-chamber heart view, we would require at least uh, for a half a megabyte up per second upload. So then we can do the basic telemedicine, which can still be clinical telemedicine. But if you want to go next step up, as your next part of the question is, for example, in NICVD, the angioplasty is being done in Larkana. I provided them a software where the angioplasty in Larkana was being seen live from theater at NICVD. And the NICVD cardi- cardiologist was able to draw on the screen of the surgeon in Larkana. Now, yeah. how did that help? That minimized the opening rate of angioplasty. Every fifth or fourth angioplasty was open to cardiac bypass. So that reduced the complication rate because the senior surgeon was able to tell, catheter change and do what? So that was like over-the-shoulder exam- inspection of surgeon
6: okay. So okay.
4: that required half a megabyte. The way I do it, maximum one megabyte per second upload, and we will be able to do it. That's but what that he said. The question,
5: You know, what you just asked, so, uh, to what Nadim said as well. So, you know, for example, we do robotic surgeries here. So the person, the surgeon might be sitting in Argentina and he can operate wherever. And uh, it's with a robot. And these are very highly technical surgeries. And you cannot do them unless you have either broadband or 5G or something. So, so we have limitations. So what Suhail is saying, you know, we can do these things. But if we have 5G, it opens up a whole new spectrum. So really, I mean, to say that we don't need it, you know, that would be wrong to say.
4: No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that there, there are limits if we, if we have no option. I, I'm doing it because we have no option. But if yes. I have I, I, I will put a better <laughs>
3: software. If I may just yes. inject here, right? Yes. I think what Swail Sab is saying and Bilal saying is that they can adapt in some limited version of tele- telemedicine with, with the current infrastructure. But obviously, they can do a lot more if we have more bandwidth. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And,
5: and,
4: and can, again, I want to add, add, it's a part of a mm-hmm. journey. I'm not saying it's a destination. It's part of a journey.
0: So, I fully agree with you and I compliment you on what you've done, all of you. In fact, my question is: that Pakistan in is a very and I'm going to say that 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 I'm going to say i am going to say i am going to say that i am going to say that i am going to say that i am going that we are going to i am going that i I I Pakistan there's no
2: tomorrow.
0: internet banane pe slow internet spectrum option ye Dr. I think this, this is one one one
3: sentence that I want to say to you. The, we need to realize the era of brick and mortar is over. We are now in an era of virtual you know, economies where, where everything is done over the internet I mean, much more efficiently and much faster and higher quality of service. Uh, the sooner we realize that, the faster we will get on into the next stage of uh, development. Uh, if you're stuck in the brick and mortar phase, we unfortunately never get out of it. And investing in roads shows that we still think that, you know, we believe brick and mortar is the way to go. Unfortunately, well, like Khalid said, like Dr. Thakai's showing like Emma showed, you know, uh, like Imran is going to show, brick and mortar is, you know, the era of that is over. Uh, COVID showed us that. I mean, and there's an increasing trend towards virtual survey based services. So mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, uh, we cannot, okay. Pakistan must adapt and must no. understand that we, we have to move away from these policies, right?
4: No, but can I, can I also add that we are starting, teaching and certifying doctors in telemedicine in Pakistan, no, not problem. only just Great. giving them the, the software, but also the driving license to run the car. And that is a major shift. That is going to bring the culture of telemedicine.
0: Great. Wonderful. wonderful.
2: Uh, one uh, piece of uh, information for uh, from some countries who have actually built 5G networks. Uh, one uh, simple technology uh, deployment method. On highways, you mentioned that we are Highways are uh, j- lights. Ke there is a 5G transmitter and receiver built into every single one of those in some countries. So that's how they're actually building their 5G network. Every light pole has a 5G receiver and transmitter built into it to distribute okay. the network to where the light goes, right? So across highways, does across... It, highways. Does that
0: obviate the need for fiber optic? Because our biggest problem fiber optic. Because we're slow hai. How much fiber optic do we need or can we limited to what
2: we have uh, 5g will enable you to do wireless backhaul that is uh part of the network so you can communicate even with those uh, 5g transmitters over a wireless backhaul network however that's not even deployed very uh, extensively right now the the rest of the world doesn't have a laying fiber problem as big as pakistan does i guess yeah, but, but,
0: Our problem yeah We all want. But then the That is a question, Shahid uh, for you. The
1: biggest problem for fiber lay down, laying out is last mile, but you can eliminate that through 5G. Then uh, beyond that, that is not as difficult because America America's biggest push is happening the, with this uh, Biden stimulus is around last mile 5G. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Pakistan has enough fiber layout beyond last mile. It's the last mile question which 5G solves. So, I don't mm-hmm. know why the fiber problem exists because fiber, fiber starts from the backhaul at that point, not uh, not the last mile. Last mile fiber is a problem.
0: Great. Okay, let's turn to education. Imran Qureshi, sir. Swam
7: alaikum ji can everybody Jee hear me? Everybody. okay Jee thank BK. you very much i will not be able to share or move my slides. so if somebody can just load my slides and i can talk through them i am in south of portugal right now and uh, so, my god you retired or something i am i am kind of retired with my family i am just i'm just, uh, I'm just Good joking job yaar. south of portugal <laughs> It's a very nice place and I highly encourage everybody to at least visit this place. It seemed very similar to Southern California or Central California. The terrain is almost the same. So, and uh, weather is always uh, very nice over here and people are excellent. So, moving forward, let me give you a brief uh, background of myself. I started my career with Ford Motor Company deploying Cisco (laughs) routers. And then I moved to Cisco and spent 25 years with Cisco in different capacities. More or less, I was into enablement, sales enablement, technology enablement, partner enablement. So I basically delivered all these trainings through virtual technologies. We um, Cisco, and when I say we Cisco bought Webex back in 1999. And since 1999, Cisco has been successfully delivering virtual education programs over the internet. So that's a little bit of my background. So next slide, if you can. Thank you. So I just wanted to basically paint a picture of where we are in terms of technology and where the technology has been adopted within Pakistan. So I would say the spectrum of technology adoption is between the typewriter and the personal computer or probably a little bit ahead because you know if you look at people who are using the computers, these are people who are basically under 25 years old. Anybody who is over 25 years old is not very well versed in the usage of personal computers or the internet. So I would say the spectrum is basically (coughs) in the typewriter and personal computers or a little bit ahead. But the usage of internet, when we say there are so many internet users within Pakistan, it is definitely not true because what happened was Pakistan in Pakistan the landlines got converted to mobile phones and mobile phones are basically being enabled through the internet. And that's what basically most of the statistics say. It is basically the data that moves the internet or internet moves the data, it is vice versa. And that is basically what is driving the adoption of internet all over the world and not the case in Pakistan. And virtual education basically brings a lot of data on the network. It basically brings a lot of data users on the network. And that's where the rubber meets the road. Hello, G? Can you hear me? Go ahead. We can hear you. We can hear you fine. Okay. So uh, <laughs> that's where the rubber meets the road. So there are two different phases of internet enablement or in, uh, internet adoption where the World Wide Web and the digital economy that you are talking about, what Khalid talked about, what uh, Suhail Sabh talked about, what Emma talked about, you know, all these people talked about what are basically the foundations for building the digital economy and these foundations are basically what will move the data in terabytes in gigabytes in all these areas and that is where we need to go and you know virtual education is something that will drive a lot of data onto the internet so the next slide So what is virtual education? Next slide. So in essence, virtual education is where a teacher is teaching a student primarily on an online basis or through the internet. Uh, The education is not just basically driven through the teacher, but it's driven through the content also and how the content is delivered. And the content is basically built around an educational ecosystem, which includes content delivery, the evaluations that the students go through, the assessments, the the enrollment, all these things come together. And as a whole package, this, um, virtual education systems are delivered over the internet. And just to basically paint a picture, all these systems are already available in, in the um, you know um, on the internet. you know there are learning management systems that are available online, there are enrollment systems that are built online. So all these things, are already available that would basically make a school use these functions to deliver virtual education. So what are the instruction models that are widely deployed? The first one is basically an independent self-paced study where you and I can go in and look at a coursework and say, hey, I'll be able to, you know, get this thing done in three months four months using our own pace and the second is basically live interactive classes or per se recorded classes that one can take later on or view later on and basically follow those classes and take the exams and um, basically complete the coursework and the class class size ranges Widely varied from a small group to hundreds of uh, students, and this. <laughs> go ahead, Ji. Didi, go
0: ahead. Did ahead? Who's speaking?
7: Um, Imran Ji ji, I'm I'm <laughs> just going. So the massive open online coursework or courses. Is the terminology that has been used and has been successfully deployed by these very, uh, I would say, successful companies called Coursera, Udemy? Um, you know, all these companies are developing these coursework that people can follow and they're offering certificate courses. So, next slide, please. So from a virtual education perspective, what we have learned is that, um, you know, virtual education enhances the research skills, the digital skills and digital skills are very important where you are teaching somebody how to use the computer, how to basically interact with somebody over the internet and basically to adopt new environments And this is a skill that is needed in the 21st century where you are going from environment to environment, office to office. to office. And we can basically say to people, okay, this is how things will be done in a different environment. And adoption in a different environment becomes pretty easy, or I would say it becomes trivial when you are delivering things online. So um, the learning capabilities also come into play with a user or a student I sadra,
0: I sadra, I sadra, I quickly
7: conclude <inaudible> I will I will Take go ahead and do you. this. Go ahead. Go ahead.
2: <inaudible>
7: okay. So the the three aspects from a student perspective is the self paced the virtual instructor led and the hybrid environments these are basically what everybody's looking at from a value perspective how can somebody basically learn from their individual learning process and you know i will basically go ahead and conclude with the next slide and i will just this a history of virtual education. This is a history of Stanford Instructional Television Network. It got started in 1969, and it basically solved a problem of bringing graduate students who were living off campus or who would basically travel a lot of distance. And they used the technology. The technology that they used was basically radio frequency technologies or microwave technology in those days to cover 50 miles of instruction that was sent across. And they built a very, you know, I would say a very fundamental kind of a system that delivered the content and slowly the content basically got adopted by a lot of corporate environments and that's how the whole virtual education experiment got expanded and basically got into the degree programs, into the undergraduate degree programs. And if somebody can bring up the last slide, I will just finish with that last slide. The last slide, please. Go
0: ahead, go ahead,
7: Ji. So from a, from a Pakistan's perspective, I have been visiting Pakistan on an ongoing basis for the last uh, couple of years. And what I have um, found out that the internet connectivity is coming into Karachi and I'm based out of Karachi. So my home near Kent station is equipped with a fiber and fiber is coming to my home. And similarly fiber is coming to a lot of universities. as far as fiber is concerned, the bandwidth coming to the home and bandwidth coming to the, to the head end, which is basically the universities or the educational institutions is pretty sufficient. I'm not sure about other locations, but in Karachi fiber is coming to the premise. The second thing is the cellular connectivity for a user is a little challenging, although they advertise 3G and 4G, but the bandwidth delivery is not consistent for video. It It is consistent for audio, no problems whatsoever. People are able to use uh, these cellular devices for audio communications, like we use WhatsApp and we make calls on WhatsApp. So that is, um, that is basically... Yeah. Available, So video is something that we have to basically invest into and upgrade the cellular system to enhance the bandwidth delivery. Okay. And the last thing is that the universities and the educational institutions need to be creative in offering their virtual distance learning programs or virtual education programs And my suggestion is they should basically start using the the virtual education um, service to offer certificate programs and programs Mm -hmm. that are non-degree programs and they don't need to be authorized by the government. So if you can avoid the red tape and start implementing these programs, I think this will really benefit and okay. The overall community mm-hmm. in terms of achieving higher standards of education.
0: Thank you, Amran. Great, thank you, imran Sab. Okay, now before I go to the audience, I've got a person who's actually involved in a in a ed tech solution here in Pakistan. I actually, got a company called Knowledge Platform, and they are educating um, I think about a hundred thousand students and many others on online. Mm-hmm. So, Thousand fintech. So, can I call Mehboob Mahmood to talk a little bit about sure, please, please a, education and B, how does internet affect you, Mehboob? Can it can with, with 5G and having internet for all really streamline the process that you're using, Mehboob, or will it be not that beneficial? I know you're trying to bootstrap it the same way that Sab is doing it for telemedicine, but how does internet help you,
6: Mahboob Mahmood, Go ahead. Uh, Nadim, thank you very much. Can you hear me and see yeah, me? Yeah, we can hear you fine. We can see you. Okay. So, uh, I know so, we are running a of time. So, basically, we have digitized the grades uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, math and English content and we have read, digitized Six, seven, eight, nine, ten science content. And by end of this year, we'll have done the whole science um, as well uh, for grade one, two, five. So right now we serve about 1,000 schools and 300,000 kids. And as you can see, there's quite a lot of uh, wide distribution across uh, the country, mostly in the north. And then of course, the GT belt and the Indus River. Uh, but um, i didn't want to i just wanted to speak for two minutes on the the kind of digital and media aspect because this is what the talk is about so we have uh, in pakistan about 22.8 million kids who get no education then out of the 49 million or so including 4 million in madrasas about 27 million are in government schools and the rest are 45 percent are now in private sector school private sector is growing at a rate of about 12%. So in about five years, private sector will be bigger. Now, uh, in terms of access, you know, education is not like Kareem where you spend five minutes to order cab, you need to have a device to at a child level. Although what we do is one laptop per school to begin with, but you need a dev- at a child level, maybe about 1 million kids have a device and regular internet access. So out of the 49 million or so kids, who are in the education sector, only a small 2% or so have access. TV is accessible by 40 million kids. And then there's a very interesting thing, what I call latent access, which is the, the TV is the white and the slash white lines. And then there's latent access, which is that the parent may have a digital device. And about 24.5 million kids' parents have a device, although that doesn't necessarily translate into an edtech opportunity, but there may be of ways by linking TV and uh, parental device for gaming. So they give it to kids for five minutes or doing a quick assessment. We can spread education technology much further, but this is the landscape as it stands today. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, so that's about all I to
6: say. I'm to Abouf, let me ask
0: you a question. Good internet for all, good having 5G for everybody, would it help you scale your model?
6: Yes, a, a, as you can see from here, one big constraint is uh, both internet and devices. So it's not just enough to have internet. If you don't have a device, it doesn't help you. So we need to massively expand Devices as well, because right now, you know, to buy a tablet, you have to pay 40% duty. So they're prohibitively expensive. Um, and We just don't have enough devices. So we do need internet, but we also need hardware. Okay. Okay. Great.
0: Shahid Khan, Shahid Khan, Shahid Khan, Shahid Khan, Shahid Khan is also from Silicon Valley. Shahid Sab, please tell us.
4: Okay. I hope uh, I'm muted. So my question is, uh, I have two questions. Imagine there was a 13 year old sitting with us watching this webinar. How long do you think that person would have stayed in the call, number one? I seriously doubt more than two minutes because focusing on the technology, I'm, I'm not sure. It is how do you engage the audience? So the question, second question is, what is the percentage completion rate on Coursera, Udemy, 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 and other courses? And I'd love to hear the answer. I know what my answer is. Thank you, Nadeem.
0: alaikum, okay, okay. cool, Great. Okay. Folks on the, the, the panel, no, second. please try and note all the questions. I'll come back to you. It'll save time. OK? So note, I'll come back to you as I take all the questions. Amber Emma Ehmer Arsalan, I think. Gee, thank you, Nadeem.
8: Sir. Yeah, can, can you hear me? Thank you, Nadeem. Sir. Are you fine, Paul so Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm associated with 5G and internet for a very long time, a couple of decades. Uh, and I'd like to ask a question which probably is related to where you started the session. So you said in the beginning that it's all about internet for all. And I would like to add a statement here that how much are we concerned about global internet companies taking data from all? So it's like, I'm so not the internet because you don't do the internet because I need your data. So the specific question that I have around that is that in Pakistan, what we see today, uh, that even after uh, decades of work and rework, we have not been able to release a data policy. And the lack of data policy means that anybody can come over here and take the data without the consent of the data generator. So data privacy, security, and residency are the factors that have not been addressed.
0: So that's a specific question, and where do you
8: see that how can
0: Pakistan develop without a data policy? Good point. Okay, folks, how do you answer these two questions? Anybody wants to take it up? Go ahead.
7: I'll take the first one so um from uh, shahid khan's perspective yes he's absolutely right in terms of a 13 year old you know attending this webinar and the the main the main thing about the internet is all about relevancy do you have the content which is relevant to me I and mean, what is it about me the way the internet was built and how it's being used is basically an infrastructure where you can go and do whatever you want you know if you want to go into gaming you go and you turn on a game if you want to communicate you turn on email you know so it is all about relevancy what what do i need to do and how do i want to do that so that is the first answer yes it will be two minutes and it will not be more than two minutes and the second part of his question was about uh, the completion rates of Coursera and Udemy and all these um, course uh, offering companies. For them, uh, you know, the statistics are a mixed bag. The mixed bag is that if I want to go and attend uh, or collect a certification program, the completion rates are pretty high. Uh, But at the same time, if I want to go and learn certain things that i find um, you know interesting i may not be able to complete those until the point where uh, it is being asked of money or basically being asked of assessments or doing all those kind of things so yes the statistics are pretty low if you are basically taking something for leisure but completion rates are pretty high when it comes to uh, getting your certificates and if they are associated with school achieving uh, programs yeah okay can, can i take the data
5: part the really go ahead. so the
0: data part is
4: that i recently had experience of installing a project in india indian policy is much better defined for example i was i was able to i was required to put the data tables in india server i could keep the software in uk server but the data had to be in india which is a great way because even if you, if the supplier does not trust with the local uh, customers, the software can still be kept on a server outside that country. But the data, the data tables can be kept on a local server. Now, I was with a, a PMC, Pakistan Medical Council meeting last week with Dr. shataki and they are in the process of making a policy for medical data. I, I, in fact, it's, it's President Dr. Arif Alvi has announced the telemedicine policy and data chapter is part of it. So you will be hearing, and my recommendations have gone on to that, that the data of patients must be in Pakistan. The software can be anywhere else. Like if it's a subscriber model, I don't want to put my software in Pakistan, for example, for the copyrights. I can keep the software in the
1: UK. The table has to be in Pakistan. And that is where the policy is coming up. So, so this this is Khalid. i will actually like to address all all the questions. So the first one for the 13-year-old, this is a, the webinar is not designed for non-professionals. So uh, why, why would a 13-year-old attend uh, a policy discussion? This is uh, uh, this is um, discussion around the policies and how are we going to go and uh, implement policies for Pakistan? This is, this is part of a corporate discussion. So Perfect. this is not relevant for a 13-year-old. The second part, part of the data piece of it we need to differentiate between a compliance data and consumer data. The Googles and the Facebooks are more about consumer data. That policy is going to be very different than the compliance data that European GDPR angle and all the data preservation. So we need to differentiate. There has to be a policy for compliance of data, which is much more personal uh, uh, data versus consumer data. That should be choice of a consumer who's signing up for a Google or a Facebook and saying, okay, I'll give consent to give you the data that you can monetize.
6: Good point, good point. Anybody else, Chief? Yeah, can I just try to address that education question as well? So I think very quickly. So first of all, what we found is it's not just a question of the content being interesting. The first thing is that you have to look at existing practices. So where kids use our system a lot is is in two situations. First is we are a teacher-led culture in terms of education. So you've got to start with the ground realities of Pakistan. So where there's a teacher involved in the uh, online education process, for example, we do blended learning in classroom, we get terrific results, very high usage and so on. The second is we're an exam based culture. So uh, again, you get very high usage last two weeks because exams have gone on. We've had 20,000 learners come on board in the last two weeks. So um, now what we're trying to do is uh, use these existing realities to try to make uh, schools and students and teachers more data centric we give them data make them more accountable so in other words existing practice has to be leveraged because that's where what the current paradigm of education is then you move them towards data and accountability we're also doing things like project-based learning games-based learning but that is slower in uptake because we haven't made a transition in our education paradigm. So it's a very interesting um, kind of um, uh, migration path that we have to follow. But if we think we can just jump from one paradigm to the other, it's not going to happen. And I do believe I agree with what a lot of people have said in the beginning, that data is really in some respects both the ways of, uh, of, of bringing people from the old paradigm to the new paradigm. Okay, folks,
0: that's very good. But let me ask you a couple of questions before we leave. Paisal, tell me, what can we do to make internet for all? Currently, internet, like everything else in Pakistan, is an apartheid good. Like Pakistan, rich people play golf, poor people have no place to go. Rich people have clubs, poor people have no libraries. Rich people have cars, poor people can't walk on streets. So we are in a apartheid society. Now the problem is the rich have internet because internet connection costs two to 10,000 rupees. You can't have a good connection for less than 2,000. And if you want a 50, meg- 50 megabyte, imagine 50 megabyte connection is 10,000 rupees. Okay. Now in the US, you can tell me how much it is.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. So, so secondly, my- no, hang on, hang on. Secondly, the issue is we have to go online because of COVID. The poor kid who can't afford a 2,000 rupee connection, who can't afford an 8,000 rupee connection (laughs) is handicapped. The lums kid obviously has everything. So the question is, we are deepening the divide of inequality. So do you agree with me that internet is now a necessity far greater than cars? Would you agree with me that we should tell our leaders that internet for all is important? And now, how do we get internet for all? What is the cost, Faisal? Go ahead.
3: Yes, okay. I think so. So many, many, lot of questions there, but let me say one thing. Right, I think first thing is we need to change our regulatory or policy-making mindset. Internet is not the source of revenue, but it's a source for growth of the economy.
8: Mm-hmm.
3: Right, mm-hmm. And, and as long as we treat it as a revenue source and we heavily regulate it, we're going to be stifling any digital economy. We will not be getting there. Uh, the I mean, the cost is substantial to go to internet for all. I mean, it, I, mean I don't think anybody's making light of that. The, the, the reason, the way we can pay for it is by reducing our investment in other infrastructure heavy areas, such as education and medicine, where we can rely on telemedicine, virtual education to extend our range and extend our reach and make it more, more efficient. Uh, so the, and you know we we have to uh, to some extent understand that you know that investment is going to lead us to savings in other infrastructure areas. And secondly, you know, like Khalid said, data is the future of oil, right? Is oil in the future? And we have to get in get in line into that in, on that path. And and the internet is is the way to get there. The, the I mean the the cost we're looking at roughly you know for. Just a five G portion of it is probably looking at you know um, about a few thousand base stations extra additional that we need to add, and then if you want to go ultra wideband, there's a lot more that needs to be added. So I mean, it, it's in the billions of dollars. It's not it's not cheap. Nobody nobody underestimating that. But I think what we have to realize is, uh, do we stay in this vicious cycle uh, of we keep taxing our internet, keep taxing communication, keep regulating it, and keep stifling the growth, or do we? At at least give hope and let let the entrepreneurs let the industry take over and 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 drive the internet bandwidth. Let them invest in it and deregulate and let 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 the let the people you know move it forward. I think once you deregulate, you get investment from outside. You can make it accessible to all and make it cheaper for everybody. I mean, there's still going to be some some discrepancy, but hopefully, as you get more and more investment, the the better off we will be. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think ultimately I'm convinced that you know, for Pakistan's economy to grow and to get better, we have to move traditional to economy, and, and we have to. Internet is the bloodline. You know, is is, is the bloodline for for all of our future mm-hmm. growth. And if we don't control that now uh, and don't manage it well, I think we're going to be forty more years of the same. So, can all you experts tell me? Can you
0: please send me something succinct that I can present to the minister and say, look, wake up, because nobody in Pakistan wants to wake up. If India has got internet for all, I'm really scared. We want to fight a war with India, but they've got it. And secondly, if we are building roads and not building internet, from what you've told me, telemedicine depends on it, education depends on it. And we are still sitting in the 20th century. What do you guys think?
3: Yes yes, no, I think definitely we can get you. The, I mean uh, we can get you better numbers, but I think precise numbers are going to be hard because it uh, really depends on network design. No, forget
0: and, precise numbers. Yeah. Give me better numbers and give me better regulation.. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: And tell me what Geo is doing in India. I mean I don't want long yesterday even if you can give, I know you people are busy. Even if you can give me simple a simple PowerPoint slide, maybe 5 10 slides, Yes. Just simply outlining, what is the cost of a base, base <clears throat> station? How much does it need? How can you bring the prayer? How can you bring? How can you bring to do it, or whatever the equivalent of Reliance? How can we get a Pakistani from Shahid Khan from Chicago to come and do it? How can we get the regulations such that people will do it? How can you get these people at the top to understand that this is not their business? They can't make these policies. Right. Is that something you guys can do?
3: we can help sorry with the cost
0: kyun <laughs> cost as well as regulation yaar regulation bataein kya hum galat kar rahe hain india kya kar raha hai acha jo hum galat kar rahe kya chakkar why are we selling spectrum so expensive teen options hamari ho chuke hain hum cancel kar chuke ji secondly do we need to have an auction of the spectrum or can the government do price sharing as we go along for example should the government collect upfront 3 billion dollars or should the government Simply say, okay, guys, on every transaction, you give me 10 pesos extra.
2: Yeah, Someone, think... Guys,
0: I'm looking to you for yeah. some innovation.
5: Khalil
0: sir,
4: i there are more than 20 governments who have invested more than 30% in what they invested last year in broadband technology. Hmm. That's a very clear evidence the way the world is going. Very clear evidence. Number two, if you look at the megapixels of cameras, they are constantly increasing. The RAM is constantly increasing. But we are stuck at 2G internet. Why are we not catching up with the pace of hardware and the technology around us? It's a clear case of expansion.
0: Well, it's a clear case of We have started Vivo phone. And we have made Apple and Samsung Viro. What do tablet पे 40% tax लगा दिया है, computers पे tax लगा दिया main center गया, wahan computer पड़े i literally mean lunde के. के, वो मंगवाते wo computers trash जाते jate how do you see the chances of this country with a 5 year old computer is that a good thing to do or should we keep current
1: the computer is the most important Absolutely, the last access and the last mile, one of the speakers said, uh, access, if you don't have bandwidth speech, so many companies, Netflix wouldn't have been successful. It is the access and the ability of high bandwidth connections that will drive driven the companies like Netflix and kill the and motors like uh, Joe, uh, video services thing. The future, the internet gravity is shifting, the data gravity is shifting. If it's not understood, the data gravity, the next wave is somebody sitting at home and innovating and able to provide a service that doesn't have to be through a big corporate. Again, I passed last mile bandwidth here. Last mile uh, connectivity high bandwidth and my service, <coughs> service and software, software development capabilities and their aca bacha bad become part of a larger corporate to become part of a software service. But the connectivity has to be there. The politicians they Facebook will disrupt hierarchy of hierarchy. And again, one of the last points I want to make is uh, finishing of certificate. Mark Zuckerberg never figured finished a degree. Bill Gates, Jordan uh, uh, Steve Jobs. It doesn't have to have, you have to have a finished degree. You have to have the mindset of an innovator. Or innovator freedom and capability. He have barriers Mean, how do you create mark recorder box because they have access to information and they have imagination or imagination ke liye, aapko universal access capability chahiye. you're stopping people from innovating by not giving them the ability and the tools they need to innovate
0: great job folks I'm so thankful to you I deeply appreciate your giving back to Pakistan you have a I deeply appreciate that. Now, Faisal, I need from you this little last piece, whatever yes. you like, notes or something. You don't have to write essays. I know you guys are busy. But God's way of saying, just to me, give me two-three questions. Rough cost, how much Number two, what do regulate? deregulate me we do to regulate? What should we do to do kya regulate? What or congratulations to people who have done telemedicine, online education, etc. And congratulations to you all. You are the future asset of Pakistan. I do hope that these people will use you. We are very proud of you and really look up to you guys. Thank you very much, folks. My deep appreciation to
3: you. Thank you. Thank you. We will get the office. Thank you.